You're listening to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show, your daily podcast on the National Football League, powered by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to the Peacock and Williamson NFL Show, digging into the mailbag on this Tuesday, June 1st. I can't believe it, Matt. We're in June already now. I believe it's 100 days until the start of the 2021 NFL season. I hope everybody enjoyed their holiday weekend. Matt, did you have a good Memorial Day weekend? Yeah, low key here. We didn't do a whole heck of a lot. Weather wasn't wonderful, but yeah, how about you? Yeah, mostly hung out. Uh, didn't do anything crazy. Did did get a chance to grill some meat, and we got some questions about meat here in our in our mailbag that we'll that we'll get to. Um, <laughs> okay. A couple of notes: as it is June first, and there hasn't been any news yet today, as of Tuesday morning, recording this with player movement, p- big names getting cut, big names getting traded. There's a couple of notes, though, I do want to mention before we get into the questions here. Uh, one is on, and we've talked a lot about Julio Jones, and hopefully that is done soon, so we don't have to keep talking about Julio Jones every day. Um, But from Charles Robinson, he said, from what I've been told, the price for Julio Jones in talks with at least one team was a first round pick plus players. That's steep. And I have a hard time believing the Falcons will get that. And there's also the reality that Julio may want a new deal too. And yeah, so Julio's going to cost his new team $15 million this year, then 11 million each of the next two seasons. If he balls out this year, I'm sure he's going to be wanting to pay, be paid more than $11 million by his new team in, in 2022 with the salary cap going up. And so that's another dicey situation. Josina Anderson also uh, mentioned that one team said that, or one league source said that he's still legit, but older player, Falcons are asking a lot, and teams are basically getting frustrated now, uh, approaching June 1st at the asking price. Uh, I have a hard time believing, Matt, that they're going to get that first rounder as well. There was a report that they had gotten an offer of a first rounder. That's to me sounds like that report came from the Falcons because I think if they would have gotten an offer, he would currently not be an Atlanta Falcon, right? Unless it's a 2024 first round pick or something like that. I mean, sometimes we can they can be a little vague. We got a, an offer of a first round pick, but it's two years down the road. Like, yeah, well, maybe we'll hold off. I'm with you. I, I I've thought all along the asking price would be a, a, a second. But I do think there's enough teams in it that maybe they'll get more than that, a second in a player, something along those lines, someone on a rookie deal. The only way I could see a first is if a real powerhouse team, Kansas City, Green Bay, I mean, one of these teams that really thinks they'll be picking very late in the first round and thinks this is a, makes them a big-time Super Bowl contender, maybe that gets done if they can be convinced that there's a lot of teams bidding. As for Julio's contract, if I were trading for him, I would say, Julio, we love you. We just gave up you know, something of substance to get you. We want to win a lot of games with you. Let's talk contract after your first year in your new city, though. What if you did something where you said, okay, let's take a year off. So play under the next two years, but you can be a free agent earlier. Could you do something like that with Julio Jones to make him feel better about going out and just seeing the market and not being locked into a team, but you still get two years of Julio and potentially one nice bargain year next year? I don't know. Just maybe, 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 maybe you could think out of the box a little bit no. with Julio, but um, it's it's a dicey situation because of his injuries and putting a lot into that. I don't think the Falcons will get a first. I think it was Peter King last week that said even a hard second would be 
tough for the Falcons to get right now, and then maybe some of the offers were conditional third, second round picks based on uh, you know him being healthy for a certain amount of games or something like that. So we'll see if this ends soon, but at some point the Falcons have to trade Julio Jones, right? Because they need to sign their draft picks. So I don't know how long they can wait now that we've hit that June 1st deadline. Yeah, I would think it happens this week. I hope it does. I'm a little tired of talking about it, to be honest with you, because <laughs> all the speculation and the, the blurb I got on my phone over the weekend was the Titans are the leader in the clubhouse. That totally makes sense. But you know, where are these things coming from? They're yeah. from the Falcons. I keep, you know, I mean, it's it, don't proceed with caution. Fowler had a report said, don't sleep on the 49ers. I don't think anybody had been sleeping on the 49ers. They seem like a logical choice to have at least checked in. Don't sleep on the Rams. I saw there's talk about the Seahawks. There's talk about the Patriots still. So uh, there's a number of directions this could go with Julio Jones, including potentially, I don't know, maybe there's a way that they keep him. And if they can figure out, their cap situation and not trade Julio, then maybe that is the sticking point and they've found out a way that they can keep Julio unless they get that first round pick. So who knows? Maybe maybe Julio does stay in Atlanta. And if for those of you out there that are wondering why exactly does June 1st matter, we'll use the Julio contract as, um, as a basis for why it matters. So once you hit June 1st, you can cut or trade a player and his prorated salary cap won't all immediately accelerate to your salary cap you can spread it over two years instead so for julio jones who has this massive dead money of 23 million dollars that now instead of going against the falcons it doesn't change anything for the team that are, that would be picking him up or trading right. for him but for the falcons instead of 23.25 million dollars being accelerated immediately to immediately to their cap they can spread that cap hit over two years and actually get some cap savings out of it instead of even hurting their cap more if they did a move before june 1st so that's why it matters for someone like julio jones and that's why it matters also matt for another player zach Ertz. and there is a report from jeremy fowler here uh, talks on a potential Zach Ertz trade have been ongoing for quite some time, but fairly quiet of late. At least three tight end needy teams have looked into this. Eagles have made clear they won't part for nothing in return, making a release unlikely. So it has to be a trade and things could pick up this week now post June 1st. Yeah, he didn't make my top, famously didn't make my top 25 tight end list. And I thought he was just coming off a bad year. But I've also said many times, Tight ends like Ertz, so who never really relied totally on athleticism, speed, those type of things, usually fade away slow. And I keep thinking about Jacksonville. You know, I mean, you bring in a veteran tight end that's still reliable, that knows the tricks of the trade, that teaches quarterback, be somewhat of a safety blanket. Third and six, he gets open in the middle of the field, gets you seven yards. You know, I, I still think he's capable of doing those things. Um, I'd be really shocked if he returns to Philly, though. I would think that Zach Ertz would be a really nice pickup for some team because his number is much smaller than someone like Julio Jones. And, sure. um, you know, we're, instead of $23 million in dead money, it's, you know, $7.5 million in dead money for the Eagles when they get rid of Julio Jones. And it's, uh, it, it's something that a team could afford. So that's an interesting one. Just a couple other names here. Uh, and there was a nice article from Brad Spielberger who used to work at OverTheCap.com. We've actually talked to him here on the podcast, and now yeah, he's doing he's cap stuff over at Pro Football Focus, and he had a nice article, and he projected some potential trades. But some other names to look out for. Danelle Hunter, the pass rusher from the Minnesota Vikings, could definitely definitely help out some teams. Um, Landon Collins is another name to look out for. Cowboys linebacker Jalen Smith. So 
it's not just all Julio post June 1st. There's some other movement that could happen. And, oh, yeah, Aaron Rodgers, it becomes a lot more likely that he could be traded now, too, because of his contract if the Packers decided to go that route. Yeah, I mean, some of those guys, uh, Julio's perfect example, couldn't have got really traded before June 1st. I mean, this is the first time that they actually make their you know incumbent team possibility a possibility to move them. I bet there will be a few, though, and there will also be a couple cuts. There'll be some more signings uh, this this next couple of weeks. So, um, you know, teams have already had their mini camps. They've gotten to see some people firsthand. Uh, it's very early to make, you know, snap judgments on those players, but they might be like, boy, we could probably use another outside linebacker or safety or whatever. So I, I think this could be a fun week for a couple little, new, you know, moves. And some of those guys you mentioned could be on the move. Can't imagine Daniel Hunter going anywhere, though. It's an interesting one. Danell Hunter could help out a yeah. ton of teams. Uh, I would probably, I mean, just for positional value and age, I might be checking in on Danell Hunter first before I went oh, down yeah. the Julio Jones route or the Zach Ertz route because that could be a difference maker for your defense. Yeah, I think he has the most value of all those guys when you factor in age, position, all those things. So maybe June 2nd is when those things will happen. And when those things do happen, we will have them covered for you right here on the Peacock and Williamson NFL show. But now let's get to the mailbag. We've got some fun questions about wiffle ball, grilled meats, uh, hockey, <laughs> and, uh, of course, football coming up on P&W. Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions, and now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. I know personally Credit Karma has done a huge amount to help tracking my credit score, really helped me build that up, helped me when I was purchasing a home. I'm seeing that continue to skyrocket and I love checking Credit Karma to see how high my credit score has gotten. But now they can help you even more. Credit Karma Money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. When you use your Credit Karma Money debit card, you can win daily Instant Karma purchase reimbursements on items up to $5,000. Just pay with your debit card and if you win, you'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Right now, visit Credit Karma slash win money to open your free account and start winning instant karma that's creditkarma.com slash win money instant karma is sponsored by credit karma no purchase necessary exclusions and terms apply see rules banking services provided by mvb bank inc member fdic maximum balance and transfer limits apply i really enjoyed the the off-topic questions here kind of lighten the mood with uh, with 100 days to go until the season starts, it's going to be a fun six weeks here in the dead period after mandatory mini camps before training camp actually gets going. And we'll check in with most teams. We'll check in with some other hosts and have some guests here on the show and really start to preview what's going on in the 2021 season, plus any news, obviously. Uh, but I love this question about wiffle ball from Jimmy. He said, who is the best hitter, past or present, that you think you could strike out in a wiffle ball game? Well, first of all, I'm not sure all our audience knows your extensive baseball background. So I'm betting your wiffle ball career was probably a little higher level than mine. And I want to hear about that and your answer to this question. But afterwards, I want to kind of tell you about my wiffle ball experience, which is really, it might, you know, <laughs> it might not be as unpredictable as you think when you add all heads up. I mean, uh, I there was a time when if there was a profession, and I think there is like some semi-professional football leagues. Yeah. There was a time when I was a teenager, if that was a thing that existed, I would have definitely done it and been on ESPN3 or whatever playing wiffle ball. Uh, we used to do this thing 
late at night at the local community college, they had tennis courts that would light up all night long. So we would convene at, oh, I don't know, 8 or 9 p.m. at night, turn on the tennis court lights, and play three-on-three games of wiffle ball. We'd have, like, you know, maybe nine players, and we'd rotate and have a tournament of three teams of three and play wiffle ball until the sun came up and then go to Denny's and get breakfast. Like, that would be be a weekend when I was, you know, 17, 18 years old. Luckily, uh, Mr. Peacock, my father, gave me a long leash and allowed me to do things like that, knowing I was screwing around playing wiffle ball and not doing other things to get in trouble. So uh, <laughs> I did have, I did earn some leeway in my household to be able to do some fun things like that. But that was, a, uh, I, I think the, the, the time we did it the most was the summer right after I graduated high school. I mean, we just played wiffle ball all day and night. But I and still have good. arm problems from playing wiffle ball, from overthrowing a super light ball. I and, bet, I bet, yeah. Instead of the wiffle ball with all the slits, that's really easy to, to uh, curve and everything. We used to use the the fun ball, the the one that's just circle holes all the way around it. So it doesn't curve as much. So if you wanted to curve it, you had to curve it yourself. And I got really good at throwing some nasty pitches with that and a change up and some other things. I never had a great arm. I was never really a pitcher. But in wiffle ball with the actual wiffle ball that is super easy to curve, I could strike out. I have no doubt in my mind. I haven't even thrown one of those wiffle balls in a while. But uh, I know I, if you put it in my hand right now, I know exactly how to grip it to get it to move. I could strike out Mike Trout today right now. I have no doubt in my mind because the advantage is definitely with the pitcher when it comes to those wiffle balls. Now, maybe not just one at bat. I'm sure he would tattoo some off me, but I could get just about anybody with uh, if I had enough at bats to strike him out in a wiffle ball game right now. Okay. I wonder if that, that was one of my questions. I think you kind of answered it. You know, you got the wiffle ball that is all holes. You got the one that's half holes that comes with the yellow bat. Yes. And then I like the ones that had no holes that like looked like a baseball. They had like um, stitching on them. They were harder. They're harder, a little heavier, harder, heavier. And sometimes and they would often get a dent in them, which you just didn't even pop the dent (laughs) out. You could throw wicked curveballs with the dent or wobblers and things like that. That was my ball of choice because you could throw it harder. You could throw um, it harder, and that one you could get some wicked movement too. And oh, usually yeah. the balls were inconsistent, so one half of the ball might be a little heavier than the other half, and where Always. the where the the fake threads were was a little bit heavier. So you could get that one to move a lot, and you could throw some nasty like change up or knuckle balls with that because it would really catch the wind. The wind would affect that ball a lot. I'd Gaylord parry it up too, and I'd scuff it whenever <laughs> you know, like at night and before the game, and I'd find the scuff and get a little little extra on there too. There you go. Speed. Just my wiffle ball experience was a lot of backyard stuff all over with buddies. And I was such a dork. You know, I would, you would usually play one on one or two on two. I always made us draft teams first. Like, oh, I'm going to take George Brett to play third. I'm going to take Mike Schmidt to play third. So we draft these teams and I would chart how each player hit. I'd make a lineup. That was like what I was much better at than hitting or running or throwing, <laughs> to be very <laughs> honest with you. Yeah, so, uh, and to this day, when I play slow-pitch softball, which I haven't done in a year because of the pandemic, and that actually is going to start up here in June, so I'm excited oh, about I bet you that. that. But I'm a switch hitter, and it's because me and my best friend, he was a Yankees fan, I was a Giants fan, we'd go in the backyard, and we would play nine-inning games of wiffle ball, and we would do the the entire lineup. So nice. I had to bat left-handed if I was going to be Will Clark. So I learned how to hit left-handed, and I became a switch hitter because I played so much wiffle ball and, and swung left-handed so many times last thing i want to throw out there is i'm sure i'm not the only one that did this but i did come up with it on my own is like those yellow banana bats or even the other the other bat i liked a lot too was a black rubbery kind of bat that had like almost like hockey tape around the the bottom of mm-hmm. it with a big wide opening at the bottom you might you've, you've seen those yes, right yeah yeah 
I would either cork that or I would glue <laughs> the <laughs> the yellow one and put about maybe I don't know five six inches of water in there. So it, it would it, you're 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 up the bat, so it's down at your handle. But as you swing, it goes to the barrel, and you just pack a wallop with that sucker. Wow, that's funny. Matt Williamson looking for the edge at the oh, yeah. night before, working on his gear, trying to get... Uh, I remember the, the heavier sort of rubbery bats. I didn't like them because they bent more. They did. And it felt like they were inconsistent when you were swinging. You didn't quite know where the barrel was going to be. But we did really heavily tape up our wiffle ball bats when we did those all-night-long tournaments just to get a little bit more weight behind the bat so yeah we would tape up the barrel a little bit tape up the handle and just get them a little bit heavier than the normal plastic when when i started putting water in that one then we started playing with a rag ball you ever play the rag ball played a lot of rag ball you know what i used yeah. to play actually at the minor league i mean this isn't a baseball podcast but this is fun i don't care <laughs> off topic this is the off season um the the visalia oaks was the the minor league baseball team single a for the twins at the time uh, when i was younger now it's uh uh seeing now it's low a ball for the Arizona Diamondbacks and now they're called the Rawhide but the Visalia Oaks games we would get a you would get a 50 cent coke or whatever and then you would take the cup and wrinkle it up into a ball and we would play cup ball back behind the bleachers and just whatever kids that were that were at the game that night we would play cup ball and you just use your hand as a bat and you would you would smack the this crumpled up paper cup around as a ball so there was that too wow wow that's uh it sort of reminds me, like, did you live through the depression or? <laughs> no, dude, we <laughs> didn't care when, you know, when you're like nine years old, whatever you got, let's just yeah. play ball. And yeah, I was all about baseball as a kid. Baseball was my number one sport forever. Back to the original question. I was strike out nobody, but I had a mean knuckle curve that broke like crazy, except for when it didn't break, people would just drill it out of the screen. Yeah, that's the tough part <laughs> when, you, when you throw the slow pitch that doesn't break. It's like, uh-oh. Yeah, trouble. Leave it high. At least I thought it was a mean knuckle curve. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's go hockey then, huh? Uh, Explosivo wants to know: Can anybody stop the Colorado Avalanche? I do not believe so. He says. I, to be honest with you, I'm out of touch with the hockey playoffs. But Matt, I know you are a hockey fan. I am, but I am extremely fair weather, and I'm pens only. And they've been embarrassing in the playoffs the last couple of years. And as soon as they got eliminated, I haven't watched a minute since. I've been kind of having NBA playoffs on in the background at night instead of hockey. So I have no clue. Joshua, who always sends a lot of good questions in, says, what are the circumstances in which Drew Locke gets benched for Teddy Bridgewater this season? Well, I don't know who's going to even start the season. Yeah, I mean, what if Teddy's the one getting benched for Drew Locke, maybe? Uh, I like Right. I, I think that, I mean, Drew Locke is going to get the benefit of the doubt, and he's going to get the I first so. reps in training camp. I don't know if it's going to be a true camp battle. I would assume it would be, and Teddy would have an opportunity. Do you think Teddy wins that job? <sighs> They're so polar opposite. I mean, Locke, to me, reminds me of Jameis Winston. I mean, he makes a lot of nice throws. If you just watch his highlight tape, you think he's a star but puts the ball in harm's way, high-variance player, really has struggled, to be honest, to, to this point. I mean, I would rather have Winston. But there's talent there. Teddy's the total opposite. I mean, he is the most conservative guy going. Check it down. There's a reason that if you bet on Teddy every week with the spread, you've been a rich man because he keeps his team close. And I think the Broncos are better suited – to play the Bridgewater ball, you know, with a, a quality defense and a lot of weapons, but you're not going to, you're not going to keep up with KC that way. You're not going to find out what you have in lock. I mean, maybe lock still hits. 
So I think he gets the benefit of the doubt, but I do think it's a true competition. And unfortunately, I kind of think it might be the two of them just keep getting swapped out for one another through different courses a year. You know, two starts here, two starts there, that kind of thing, which is not the answer. Adam wants to know, what are your strategies on defenses and kickers in fantasy football? Stream every week? Is Tucker worth drafting higher than the rest? Uh, any value in Joe Burrow as comeback player of the year? Similar injury to Dak. Team with a ton of offensive potential. Better odds than Dak to bet on Joe Burrow for comeback player of the year. So two separate questions there. Um, as far as odds for comeback player of the year, sure, yeah. Whoever's got the better odds... I would bet on that player because I think there's a pretty uh, even chance that Joe Burrow and Dak could both get that award. But Ty's going to go to Dak probably just because of bigger name value and because he still has better talent around him. So uh, Dak can really come back on on fire. So that that's a little bit of a tough one. But um, I don't know. I'll defer Burrow's to you on the, on the kicker strategy. I want to hear what your thoughts are on that. Kicker strategy, it's always my last pick in the draft. I do no research on it. Sometimes I have to double check that that player is still on the respective team that his his, his, tick, his sticker is on. Before. I've done that before, where there's yep, a kicker that lost has. the camp battle, but was rated higher in the Yahoo system or whatever. It's like, yeah, whatever. I know that guy. I'll draft him in the last round. You realize, oh, I got to cut him because he didn't even make the team. Right, because I mean, I was draft on Labor Day weekend, and cuts happened the day before or whatever, and maybe I was doing other things and not paying attention. And kickers don't matter that much to me. Um, Defenses to me, though, I think is sort of an art form. And I, I I like to pat myself on the back that I use a very late pick on defenses, but I always hit. I mean, I, I think that's knowing the game. I think that's an advantage I have over my league mates. Streaming's wonderful for both those positions, particularly defense. You know, you play against offenses that are bad uh, and you get to know that late in the season. But in my league, we charge 10 real dollars to do every transaction. So if you're just going to stream week after week, part of me was kind of raised that that's a little bit of an easy, too easy of a path that you should have to have some kind of payment or something. I mean, do you have any of those kind of deals in your, in your league? No, not really. There are some leagues that have transaction maximums where, you know, you don't want to mm -hmm. just frivolously do a bunch of transactions just to keep those a little bit lower or leagues that are, you know, auction value and you have a, you know, the, the, the free agent acquisition budget or something like that. So, but no real dollars as far as transactions in, in, during the season. But I like that. I think that would be a lot of fun. Add more money to the pot, obviously. Yeah. But I'm with you with kickers. Don't really pay much attention to it at all. I'm definitely not taking the first kicker. I know a lot of people, they look at their lineup and like, well, I got all my starters. So let's get a defense and let's get a kicker. And now we have all our starters. And for me, it's definitely not like that. And some streaming, but not really. You just if the kicker's not kicking well or the offense isn't scoring points and he's not getting a lot of points, you don't want to waste points and, and be getting beaten by your opponent every week. So maybe you, you 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 change things up. But I'm not worried about dropping my kicker, even if I had a really good one that was playing well for his bye week and pick up another kicker, and not worried about someone else picking up that better kicker. So usually, def it's an afterthought, last pick in the draft for defenses. Though I don't take them early, but I take them late. But I like to have two because I do like to play matchups mm -hmm. there if I have the roster space. Yeah, yeah, and I always look for teams that rush the passer well. Um, I don't really look at last year's success. I think turnovers are a hard thing to count on year to year, but if I have a pass rush and I look at schedule a little bit as well, and kickers, I like to have a, have one as a late bye week, so I don't have to worry about it for a while. Yeah, late bye week is usually one of the biggest factors for a kicker. You never <laughs> want to have to start worrying about a kicker in, in week four.
Right, exactly. But right. it takes a lot for me to sour on my fantasy kicker. He has to be pretty darn bad for me to start you know, scanning the waiver wire. Yes, yes, absolutely. And there's always somebody available to pick up or maybe somebody that has a good matchup that you could pick up. And maybe before the playoffs, you start looking at that just to make sure you've got your, your best lineup ready to go for the playoffs. Uh, but yeah, not much thought put into kicker at all. In fact, I play leagues that don't have kickers at all, and I kind of like it. Definitely don't miss them. I think you should not have kickers in leagues. I should have you know, opened this, this uh, whole conversation <laughs> with that. I like defenses. I don't think kick- kickers are too much luck. Last note, though, you kind of said this. When you prepare for the playoffs, though, I don't want my kicker to be kicking in Green Bay and Buffalo and Cleveland. And you mm-hmm. know, keep, keep an eye on weather for the playoffs. Yeah, a nice, a nice high-scoring dome team is good. Yes, Saints. All right, coming up, we've got questions about DK or J.K. Dobbins. We've got some question about grilled meats and more to finish up this mailbag episode of Peacock and Williamson. You trying to get in shape? You trying to get that post-pandemic summer bod back? Nutrition's a big part of it. Find something full of protein that's low in sugar instead of a sugary snack that is going to derail your diet. I'm talking about Built Bar. You can also save 15% by using promo code LOCKED15 at BuiltBar.com. All the old flavors, fantastic ones, some new flavors. You've seen a lot of them in that Built Bar bracket during March Madness. Low in calorie, low in sugar, high in protein, high in fiber, even good for a keto diet. Feel good about yourself. Have a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Great for the health-conscious folks out there that can help your diet lose, maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Go to BuiltBar.com, find your favorite flavors, even build your own box of Built Bars. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at BuiltBar.com. Matt Emilio wants to know, what is your favorite animal to eat? And I know neither one of us are vegetarians. Am I wrong, Matt, to think that you are a beef guy? I mean, I'm a massive carnivore. I mean, there's just no question about that. <laughs> and I wish I was a little better on the grill. I'm adequate on the grill, but I don't have mad skills. Um, I would think beef is hard to beat. Although pork with sausages and whatnot and, you know, all the fatty Italian meats that come from pork, you mm-hmm. know, hot super sada, as I often refer to as the king of the fatty meats. I might have to go pork. That's a tough call. I, I definitely like a good steak. I, I don't eat a ton of red meat, though. So it's more of a, I'm treating myself, and I want to grill it up, and I want to have something really nice when it comes to steak. I do eat a lot of chicken, and I do like chicken. But mm-hmm. when it comes to cooking myself, cooking it on the grill, then, yeah, the, let's go get some really nice steak and, and go do that or some tri-tip. Tri-tip's always fun and, and really easy to make and always turns out really good. Um, as far as sausages go, I'm with you. I really like nice sausages, but I hate hot dogs. Just regular, just regular pink hot dogs in a white bun. First of all, it's flavorless, and it, 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 you get all the flavor from the stuff you throw on top of it, and like the pink right, mystery right. meat, like that. That has always grossed me out. So I like nice, good, yummy sausages. Uh, hot dogs, though, plain old pink hot dogs, gross me out. I can see that. I mean, there's beaks and assholes and stuff in there. You know, <laughs> you don't really know exactly <laughs> yeah. what's all in it. You know, um, I still like a good dog, but they're overrated. Like brats are way better you know what i mean like yes and you're right the dogs are all about what you put on a mustard pickle onion and you know a, a boring bun on a, a dog on a bun is no good um 
shrimp would be high on my list too. Of mm. Just what animal do I like to eat? I love to eat shrimp. shrimp. I love to eat crabs. Yeah, shrimp is amazing. Bacon is amazing. Bacon and shrimp together. Oh, but you throw the bacon and the shrimp with some steak. Now you're really talking, right? So get it all throw together. There. Yeah, equal opportunity. Big carnivore here, though. <laughs> Big beef guy. <laughs> uh, let's see here. This one from Joshua. Good question. What is the biggest challenge Urban Meyer faces in his transition to the NFL from college? Hmm. I think it'll be a little down the road of dealing with contracts, dealing with veterans. I use this example a lot, like the 30 year old guard that has four kids at home and 12 million in the bank and has played 800 to 1200 snaps for the last eight years in a row or whatever. Is he going to be responding to the raw, raw college atmosphere? I mean, the true professional player. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's, I think it's fun now. You're assembling your team. You're picking your dudes. But once it's been a little more entrenched, does does your message hold up? That's a big one. Team building could not be more different from the college to the NFL right. level. And contracts and who you pay and, and mindsets. And you're not dealing with kids anymore that are scared of you and scared of the scholarship that you can hold over their head. They are professionals. They have money in the bank. And they're going to see through your BS, too. So that's a big aspect of the actual coaching and the human element of it. And then there's the team building side of recruiting. You, you're not going to have more talent than the teams you're playing against like you did in college no. every single game. You literally like how many games do you think Urban Meyer coached in college where he didn't just have supreme talent versus his opponent? Like what percentage of the games? I mean, at Ohio State. Very little, Never, what? almost. Yeah, uh, Florida, maybe like championship game in Florida, maybe eighty percent of the time he was most, you know, right. I mean, and now while, you walk you know? into a team that needed a coach, probably because they're not very good. It's going to be flipped completely. Now, eighty percent of the yes. time, the team across has more talent than you. One big benefit for Urban Meyer here is as long as he hits, he got his young superstar quarterback, and I think that was part of the genius of when Urban Meyer jumps into the NFL, because if he gets that right, and he does have a superstar quarterback in Trevor Lawrence, that's going to make that transition a lot easier, but yeah, I think um, team building is probably the biggest aspect of it, because you can't just sit there and pick the best players and, and take them all. You've got to figure out who you're going to pay. You've got to draft guys and there's a lot of parody in the NFL. So uh, that gets a lot more difficult. And assuming Lawrence is good as we all think he will be. And obviously that makes it a lot easier to coax, you know, Urban Meyer into taking the job. Well, conceivably then for Jacksonville's not going to be picking in the top five, top six. Soon you're going to have cap problems like, you know, Cleveland, for example. I mean, they went through a, a, a similar restructure, but Soon, or a tanking, whatever you want to call it, you know, Ward and Mayfield, they already paid Garrett. They're not picking early anymore. Like, this is the next phase, is dealing with success. There's another question John, from Joshua. John time a lot, you know, things like that. Yeah, it's, oh. there, it's, it's crazy different, and that's why the college transition has always been very difficult, and that's why I would pause for, look, he's bringing in team, Tim Tebow. You know, it's like, what, what are you doing? Right. It's like, what are you doing? Um, but, uh, yeah, so we'll see how it goes with Urban Meyer. It's going to be fun to watch Jacksonville and see how they develop there. Um, one question from Joshua on the food-related side, and I don't want to start a fight, Matt, between you and I. He said, which city has the better food scene, San Francisco or Pittsburgh? 
it's hard for me to say because I've never eaten in Pittsburgh. I only flew into Pittsburgh one time, so I know about their airport, but that's about it. Um, San Francisco, I've never eaten in San Francisco either. To yeah, be fair, so but. so I don't know. San Francisco is going to be hard to beat. Uh, I'm world-class food and beverage city so um that's i think my hometown gets blown out of the water there yeah, that's that's a tough one <laughs> i mean i could take you to some good spots and pierogies and kibasi and permani sandwiches and things like that or what i associate with pittsburgh and sure there's some fine dining on mount washington and whatnot but i bet it's not even close last one from dna fit he says everyone uh says everyone says i'm worried about dobbins receptions but we don't say that about acres i get the low volume in the ravens pass game to running backs but the rams are similar plus i think dobbins is the receiving running back and henderson over acres in los angeles's offense big difference in pff grades for uh, receptions and pass protections with the rams guys um what do you think there J.K. Dobbins, do you think the lack of potential running back receptions is overblown for Dobbins in that offense? And do you think it matters? It matters. I mean, those are high-volume touches. I just don't think Lamar is going to be much of a check-down guy. You know, I mean, because I think he's been coached his whole life that you're as good a runner as that dude you're going to check it down to. Why not just tuck it and go when things don't go to script? Mm -hmm. I do think that Baltimore would be wise to incorporate more touches in the passing game to the running backs. Maybe that's designed screens, you know, things like that. I mean, designed routes, not impromptu late in the down stuff, but I don't think it's ever going to be a high volume reception situation for Dobbins, but kind of like I mentioned with Baker, and I think this is a little bit true with Josh Allen and Lamar too, our ownership in Baltimore and Buffalo, once they pay these guys massive money, are they going to say, Hey, why don't you hand it to Zach Moss on short yardage? Or why don't you dump it to JK? You know, we got many more millions invested in you now. Let's start saving your body. And you're not as young as you used to be. All that being said, I think the Henderson argument's a good one. I just think, you know, Gurley, and I'm not saying Akers is as good as Gurley was in his prime. Gurley caught a lot of passes in that offense. And Stafford is not going to run. He's a veteran quarterback that will check it down. I think Akers will get plenty more catches than Dobbins, and that's enough for them to separate for me. But Henderson isn't going away. Yeah, I, I just I don't I don't think that just from the, my scouting eye, I don't know what the PFF grades are offhand, but Akers is a better receiver than Henderson. So I think in year two he's just going to be the guy, so. and then Henderson's going to be the number the pure number two. I don't think there's a reason to put Henderson in on third downs over Akers. So I'm not worried about Henderson at all taking anything away from Akers. If Akers is healthy, he's going to be out there as much as he needs to. And then Mm -hmm. Henderson's going to be the pure number two guy. As far as Dobbins goes, there is some worry there with running back receptions and then maybe getting vultured in the red zone from his quarterback scoring touchdowns on the ground instead of the ball going to J.K. Dobbins. So now you're worried about touchdowns and receptions. And then Gus Edwards isn't really going away either and could get some short yardage type stuff. So um, there is definitely some questions with Dobbins because there's there's sort of a path for him to be awesome and go crazy running the ball in the Ravens offense and still lack in fantasy points because of those receptions and because touchdowns get vultured by other players on his offense. And I was really high on both players coming out of college, but I did prefer Dobbins. But I think Dobbins for fantasy right now is a running back two. Akers is a running back one. I think 
Dobbins is also, though, very safe for his floor, don't you think? Yeah, and he did get a lot of short-yarded stuff and scored plenty of touchdowns last year. They like him, and you know, the, just the fact that Ingram's gone helps him a lot, too. Right, and if we're only talking a reception or two per game, it's not that big of a deal if he's still getting the goal line carries and he's still getting some receptions. So maybe some of that is even overblown, and maybe you're getting a huge discount on Dobbins. By no means am I avoiding Dobbins this year. Yes, I think that's the perfect way to say it. Okay, yeah. All right, good stuff. Thanks for all the questions out there. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Be back tomorrow. We'll find out if some veteran NFL players are on the move now that we've passed that June 1st threshold have some guests coming up uh feel free to give us some suggestions if there's some topics sure. you want us to hit at bd peacock at williamson nfl on twitter be back tomorrow right here peacock and williamson